And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So regardless of where you're at, in your stage of entrepreneurship or the stage that your startup's at, you have probably considered raising money. You've thought about finding investors. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe that went well. Maybe it didn't. You also probably learned that raising capital in different parts of the country is a different reality for startup founders and entrepreneurs. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today when we have a conference, when we, when I have a conversation about investing in flyover country. So what does flyover country mean? If you're not aware, Startup Hustle is born and raised in Kansas City, which is pretty much right in the middle of the United States. And it is also a city and area that tons of people fly over and don't ever really stop to check out what's going on. That's not the case with today's guest who runs a very popular venture capital fund and firm. Now, before I introduce him, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and full scale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. With me today is Dan Kerr and Dan is a partner at Flyover Capital. You can go to flyovercapital.com to learn more about what they do. There's a link for that in the show notes. Straight out of my hometown of Kansas City. Dan, welcome to Startup Hustle. It's great to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I like to start all my conversations by getting a little bit of your backstory. So let, let's hear about it. Well, as you said, I'm uh, with Flyover Capital, and I am truly from Flyover Country. I'm a native of right in the middle of Kansas. Uh, grew up in Hutchinson, Kansas, um, and uh, went on to uh, be in the financial services sector was a part of a couple uh, early stage technology companies, ultimately found my way to Flyover Capital um, and kind of brought me back home. Uh, I came from a family of entrepreneurs um, and always knew you could build a company anywhere at the same time as where I grew up. Uh, There were a lot of small business owners, manufacturing, that sort of thing, Um, really leaders of the community that I was around as a kid, but a lot of that has really left the, the, the kind of town that I grew up in. Um, so it's been very interesting to see this, this sort of new formula for building technology companies outside the coast. So I'm very excited about the trajectory of sort of non-coastal investing outside Silicon Valley becoming better and easier than ever to do that. So, um, uh, excited to dive in a little bit more. Yeah, and I want to hear more more about your thoughts on so many different things today. Now, just to clarify, so at Flyover Capital, you 
you're committed to investing in companies that aren't uh, Silicon Valley, I'm assuming New York City, Miami, some of the other things. We're looking straight into the in, in the Midwest and like where does flyover country begin and where does it end? Yeah, so how we would define flyover country would be outside the three big coastal tech hubs. So outside of the Bay Area, New York, and Boston, when we got started at flyover those cities, metro areas, whatever you want to call them, uh, received over 75% of venture capital dollars. That's still the case. Um, and so the anywhere outside of that is receiving relatively less capital. Um, flyover capital does even a little bit more than that. We try to focus on kind of the, I would call them second tier cities, third tier cities in the Midwest, Southeast that are um, you know, big enough to have some some scale to a entrepreneurial community at the same time as they definitely don't have a big investment sector. They're usually up and coming, kind of transitioning from being industrial hubs and starting to be more tech hubs. So over the last few years, I've noticed, or maybe it's just become aware of more funds that are similar to Flyover Capital that are looking for value outside yeah. of, like you mentioned, New York, Boston, Silicon Valley. Is that a trend that's likely to continue? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a huge shift. So, you know, if we go take a little hit, trip back in time, uh, 10 years ago or so, there was really no institutional capital in, in most of these places. So Kansas City, for instance, did not have early stage capital. Um, there were a variety of reasons for that. One was, if you go back even further to the dot-com era, there were some funds that that got formed, invested, and burnt very badly. And it took 10 or 15 years for people to come back around and start to see some signals that there's sort of a new era of you know, cloud-based internet companies that can be built uh, and and I think if you take a place like Kansas City, you also saw the the ecosystem start to put different pieces in place. Here we had Google Fiber take its you know pick KCK where where we're sitting today as its first uh, you know planned community for fiber optics to to provide more communications for the for the the city. That was a catalyst for a lot of growth you know, 10 years ago or so. There are also a lot of support organizations that were formed to help entrepreneurs around that. So we we benefited during that era as a fund because that was in the news and it was starting to give visibility to what was happening with technology. It wasn't just um, companies being formed out of the Bay Area. It was starting to be other places. Um, and so... Uh, investors started to be more willing to open up their checkbooks to funds going after that. Um, there's, we were really formed because there was demand for capital. There were good companies being formed. They needed capital, but coastal investors literally would say, that's flyover country, come out to the West coast and we'll take a look at you. You know, sounds interesting, but you know, we're not going to come to Kansas city. It's a flight away. We have plenty of companies in our backyard. So um, we've seen that shift really dramatically since 
we started investing in 2015. You do see a lot of regional funds that have been formed. They tend to be smaller. They tend to be um, you know, more region centric um, and they don't necessarily have every kind of company covered in what they're going to invest in, but it's changing and, and there's starting to be a bigger ecosystem. Funds like ours also are well-connected. So I'm not just talking to people that are doing something exactly like we are. We're talking to coastal investors. So when that next round of capital comes up, we, ha- we have a network and we can also connect companies that aren't a fit for us to another kind of investor. So still fairly unique in what we do, but the, the great kind of macro event is that this is shifting and investment and technology companies are being formed in more places. So if you look at the geographic footprint of Boston, New York, and the Valley, as we'll call it, which is not just San Francisco, it's San Jose. Sure. You yeah. know, the, the two pretty big, huge markets kind of mushed together. All that said, those even though there's a huge population center there, geographically, that's a very microscopic portion of the entire United States. Do you think some of the problem in the past with investing in flyover type companies is that it's like from an investor standpoint, it's like, where do we start? I mean, you have 47 other (laughs) top 50 cities. And once you get past the top 10, they start to get pretty small. You know, Kansas city is like 25th, anywhere from 25th to 30th biggest media market. Yeah. Like we're barely big enough to have a couple pro sports teams here. So I mean, do you think that identification of like who, what, where, and like if even getting on the radar was part of the problem? I think it was, it, it was clearly partly a visibility issue. I think there were a lot of reasons why it was more concentrated 20 years ago than it is today. Back when you needed, you know, really deep experts in building, you know, computing, you had hardware, you had to have really concentrated expertise. You needed major technical breakthroughs to even produce the kind of software that now we completely take for granted. So that made a lot more sense when, when you had to have that sort of like really deep intellectual firepower to build a business. Now definitely need smart people, definitely need people that can, can write code in most cases, but you're not constrained by, by needing to have like, super deep expertise. You can have it in other areas. And now also like one of the things we're, we think is a really good fit for the region is you have the industries here, you have the buyers. So while I say 75% of venture dollars go to three Metro areas, you still have more than 75% of GDP and fortune 500 companies outside of those areas. So being close to the buyer is even more important than being able to build the technology in a specific location when you're getting started, because those companies are more likely to take a look at you. You can, you can get the door open more easily. You have a network around you. And so that's kind of one of the things that we try to invest along is where, where do you have some advantages that are uh, able to kind of give you a boost as you're getting started? Every time I talk to someone from the Valley, from New York for or Boston, they are overwhelmingly, jealous of operating costs, which is what surprises me because there should be a lot of value out there. If you look at, okay, so 
my company full scale exists because we have this massive shortage of developers in the United yeah. States. And if you want to go out and compete with them for that talent in San Francisco, I mean, you better have some deep pockets and it's easy to, it's easy to run through some cash yeah. is, is the whole point. And you're, you're right. There is a, a much deeper set. You look at Boston I mean, you get places like MIT pumping out yeah. genius kids, Harvard, you know, obviously the Valley's got a lot going on. New York's always New York, but I don't know. I feel like there's, there's gotta be some value out there at play, but you know, there's smart people everywhere. I try to try to convince or not convince people, just remind people that when they're, some people say, oh, I don't want to hire people that aren't in the United States. I'm like, there's smart people yeah. everywhere. You just got to know where to find them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I don't think that ability is all at all constrained by geography. I think there's definitely training and yeah. education yeah. that is, but um, you can definitely, you can definitely find great people everywhere. I think that you do have to have sort of a certain scale of kind of culture around how to build a high growth technology business is going to be venture backable. That's not something that most people can just, you know, kind of, um, you know, emerge and do they, they need a little time around that and to kind of get kind of the cultural cues a little bit of, you know, how, how, how do you hire the right people at the right time? How do you say the right things? Um, some people are natural is at that, but I think generally speaking, kind of being, you know, steeped in it a little bit's helpful. So having a little bit of mass is important, but it's not because like, it's not due to ability. It's just, a, just exposure. Um, I, th I think some of that supported when you have, so here in Kansas city, we have things like Kaufman and uh, the Hellsberg entrepreneurial mentoring program and pipeline entrepreneurs. And uh, you know, a lot of things that in my opinion, you don't find as many of in markets our size. Do you, I feel like that has a lot to do with, you see, I was just at the pipeline entrepreneurs awards gala um, recently. And like, I don't know, there's, there's a, for those of you listening, there's a ton of stuff like that. You just got to go out and look for it. Oh, yeah. And it's probably in your backyard, but I, it, do you think that programs like that and being involved with stuff like that is the best way to get yourself on the radar in flyover country? You know, I think, I think that definitely helps. Um, uh, there are definitely different ways to build businesses, but you know, to that point, I mean, I think if you, especially if you haven't been around it before, those kind of programs, whether it's, um, a mentoring program or an accelerator is going to at least give you some exposure to other people that are doing this kind of thing. You know, ideally some education about, well, Am I really the right fit for raising a certain kind of capital or where do I need to go for that? So those, those, those programs can be a great place to start. And we are fortunate in Kansas City. I mean, there's been a lot of public support for those kinds of programs. Um, and, you know, I think, I think we still have a long ways to go in how we want to build things and how we put in, I guess, how we fill gaps. But, but I think uh, that that's opportunity as much as anything. So that's how I look at that. So if you're, if you're in a, a flyover country kind of city or area, what's the best place? Like, let's talk a little bit about getting on the radar of investors. Yeah. Like, obviously you can go to flyovercapital.com. That's one, that's one place to start. Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, how do you get noticed? Yeah. So, I mean, there really are a variety of ways. Um, I, and I think maybe put it in a little bit of context, if you go back 10 or 15 years, like, 
let's be honest, venture capital was very much kind of an old boys network. It oh, was yeah. very hard to crack into. You had to know the right people. Um, and there are certainly certain echelons of, of venture that are, are like that today. Um, but I think it has become a lot more accessible than it once was as, I mean, the industry has grown a huge amount just in the last 10 years from what it used to be. It used to be just a, a boutique industry. And I, I was, somebody was at a conference I was at, was talking about the stats on this. I mean, if you go back 30 years, venture 50, 50 funds is yeah. a pair oh, compared yeah. to 5,000. It, it was yeah. like the whole industry was like a billion dollars. Yeah. Now it's hundreds of billions. Um, and so there's a lot of different flavors of venture investors and in any community of any size, there's probably somebody writing angel checks, mm-hmm. um, maybe has a fund is in a mentorship group that's plugged into funds or is running an accelerator, which is another way to get kind of plugged into this world. Um, there's also just no arguing that the hustle and building good relationships with people is probably the biggest thing. So just meeting people, asking them, tell them what you're doing, finding people that have common interest, or, you know, maybe they're, uh, they, spent time in your industry, you know, many moons ago, but are, are interested as, as a personal investor in it. So like just getting out there and starting to talk to people, you will start to find that there, there are investors out there. Maybe you haven't heard of them before, but they, they may be out there. And I think in our part of the world, the Midwest, they're actually generally pretty, pretty willing to make connections and that sort of thing. Um, if you, if you put things in the right context and if you're respectful of, of people's time and let them know what you're really looking for, um, generally, um, you know, investors can, can at least give you some direction. Yeah. I refer to the accelerators and mentoring programs and stuff like that as earning your, uh, girl and boy scout badges. Cause <laughs> yeah. I think that for a lot yeah. of, well, for, you know, the investors, that I've uh, all the conversations I've had, they always look founder first. Yeah. You just give them a great idea, but you have terrible founders or leadership or something yeah. or something else missing there, then there's no point. Yeah. But for so many founders that are young and it, it's interesting because Hollywood portrays the tech founder as being like this 20 year old yeah, kid yeah. that's like in his dorm room, like the social network writing algorithms on a window and getting right. traction the next day. And that's right. actually not what statistics say. Oh, statistics totally. actually, they, they, they look like you. They, yeah. But mid forties <laughs> with some, with some experience and, yeah. and stuff like that. And, and, but with that, when you're in the younger segment, you, that's where I think those badges are helpful. Yeah. And there's a level of validation and support. Um, it, I mean, is it fair to say that the first check is without a doubt the hardest to get? I think in most cases that's true. I think getting some credibility, having been out yeah. there before goes miles. Um, you know, there's a, some common, you know, common statements or rules of thumb in, in the industry is like, you know, you're having a failed business is like your best tuition of, okay. of being able to go out and do the next one. As long as yep. you do it, the fail the right way. Um, well, well, I think it, it's important. Yeah. Let's talk about that yeah. for a second. Cause I've given a lot of people advice about this and I, I, I give the opinion, walk in and be as transparent as you can be 
Because my opinion is, is the people that write big checks are sophisticated enough to figure it out by the time they write you the check. There's a whole process with that. But I'd rather have here that someone failed and learn from it because until you do as an entrepreneur, you think you're bulletproof. Yeah. We all did. Yeah. And then you realize you're not and you're like, wow. And I think I'd rather have someone on the other side of failure. I don't want you thinking you're bulletproof with my money in your pocket. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's an expensive point. lesson that a lot of us learn yep. at some point now out of the failure. I mean, I, can we say that that's not a disqualifying factor for someone writing you a check? Yeah, yeah I, I, I think it is definitely not. I, you know, at the same time as depending on where you're building your business, the, the, it may be viewed as more of a liability. I mean, yeah. I'm just not, Could I'm be. not going to be. Not, it's always situational. It is yeah. situational. Yeah. One of the things that I think has started to evolve in more places. So like, let's take Silicon Valley. That's absolutely acceptable there. I mean, they expect people have been through four different startups in areas where this is a newer idea that, Hey, you're going to go out and start one may work out, may not, but, but starting to see that, that pattern of, of learning along the way, um, like more places are getting familiar with that. And if you have sophisticated investors and you've failed in a way where, hey, you did everything you could, you you have good lessons learned out of that, you got as much capital back to that the prior people or or to ever who supported you in the past and 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 didn't, you know, didn't, you know, screw, can't really screw people over along the way. Yeah. Then then you're gonna you're you're gonna be <laughs> You're going to be, uh, uh, I think, viewed well by by yeah. investors. Um, I think the key is that, but but admit it. Yeah, you yeah. Know, admit it and be open. They, I tell people your story is your story. Yeah, yeah. I wrote my book Million Dollar Bedroom in like a month. People are like, how'd you write a book that fast? I'm like, it was this my story. I didn't really yeah. have to give it a whole lot of thought. It right. had already happened and it already occurred. You know own it, wear it, uh, and be upfront and open about the things that your organization or you are good at and the things that you aren't. Because when I'm looking for an investor or a partner or someone, I want someone that's as, as, uh, I want this to sound as least Valentine's Day-ish as possible. I want people that complete me. I want people that are going to be good at or offer value in the places where I'm either not great or not interested. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, I think that's why it's important to tell people because one thing I've learned about investors, especially, you know, funds and you're like, Hey, I got to get this pitch, like get in there and just get right to the point. Yeah. Like, let's not sugarcoat this. Let's tell you what I'm good at, what I'm not at, where we're at, what we need and all that. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, you, you made a point just a little bit ago about, about, you know, being honest, tell your story. Super important. I think you also kind of have to know, you know, know thyself, right? If you're a person that overshares, you may yeah. want some coaching on the right things to say because there's, you know, there's there's telling the truth and there's sort of marketing that truth mm-hmm. in the right way. So you gotta to that to that later point, be succinct, be right to the point. Here's the here's the problem, here's my solution for that problem, and here's how I'm making a business out of it. I mean, it's lead with the need yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was my book editor yeah. that taught me that I can hear it in his head all the time. It's like, anytime you want to get someone's attention, you got to lead with the need. Yeah. Like this is, this is it. This is it. And I, Oh man, nothing drives me crazier than being 10 minutes into someone's 
pitch and you're yeah. like, what do you do? Exactly. Yeah. Where, what do you do? What's the problem you solve? Now, speaking of problems, finding expert software developers does not have to be difficult. You like what I did there? Mm-hmm. It was pretty, that was all natural too, until I started talking, after <laughs> especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably use the full scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders ready to join your team you can visit fullscale.io to learn more and you know let's let's talk a little bit about talent and co-founders because this is a, a a hot topic should i have one should i not where do i find the right people how important how, how much do you care if a founder has a co-founder you know i i wouldn't say it's a qualifying yes or no but i will say that m- many if not I think definitely the majority of our successful companies have a co-founder of some kind because it's hard to fit all the skills into one person and building a business can be a lonely process. I mean, you need somebody that's along for the journey. Um, I think critical to that is that that's the right person, that that is not just somebody that- Not just another you. Just another, yeah, yeah, you don't want them like, just like you, you need them complimentary, but you also need somebody that you- really know and really trust uh, and, and that is in, as invested in it as you are. I've spoken to several investors in the past that don't want to invest in solo founders. That's like yeah. a huge downside. There's a couple of reasons for that. One, if you quit, it's game over. Yeah. Two, like you mentioned, it's a little bit of a lonely existence. Having someone to be accountable for and to keep up with, it, I think is important. And then mainly just like if you can find the right mix. Right you know, find someone that's not good at the stuff that you're good at. Or if you do happen to have a co-founder that you're both good at the same stuff, you need to hurry up and find the people that totally, because you're not good at everything. Absolutely. Not even me, Dan. I'm not even, (laughs) no, I'm not even close. Like for me, like what's something you're not good at or wasn't as an entrepreneur? uh, I mean, so, so many things, you know, I'm not detail oriented. I I would definitely put that one up. I am not I would not be a good COO. I yeah. am not like a structured person. I, I get the operation side of yeah. things, but it's yeah. the drawing, the charts, yeah. and the, like, all that <laughs> other crap. I'm like, there's yeah. better people for that. Yeah, I, I I tend to be good on you know um, you know kind of vision and strategy and finance. Yep not so much on things that have to be done in process. So I think you get, you get yeah. visionaries yeah. and you get people that are implementers yeah. and like our COO at, at full scale, who's been working, he's on our third company together, all, yeah. all successful ventures. And, and he said to me, he's like, I couldn't do your job. I'm like, yeah. it's good. Cause I, I, I couldn't and don't want to do yours. Yeah. And that's a good mix. You know, that's a good mix with people that you, yeah, obviously as you, Get bigger. That's something that I've gone through a tremendous learning curve with because uh, I've had successful businesses in the yeah. past and ones that grew really quickly. But then all of a sudden, I mean, we just blew past our 250th employee at full oh, scale. You guys are rocking it at full scale. Well, it's but a, but yeah. it's crazy though because it's it's with the smaller businesses, especially in the early stage, you can kind of you know you. It's almost like, you know, you jump, it's like the, when your kids play the floor is lava, yeah. you're just trying to jump to the next thing yeah. without falling in. Yeah. And then you get to the point where you're like, okay, this is a lot bigger. And there's a whole list of different things that can really kind of throw you off. And, totally. and, yep. and also things that if they get off center are going to tip 
everything over one way or the other now um you know but but I never had experience running a 250 person company like, and most people don't until you do how important is the founder's experience when it comes, you know, cause like I said, it's like, I, 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 yeah, I think you've got to have, you've got to have some, you know, and from, from an investor's perspective, you got to have some degree of indication in your background that you can handle those ups and downs and, and that, and you could be resilient and adaptable to a business that's going to change. Um, so that's, that's just, that's absolutely cruel. That's back where failure comes in, you know, having been through it, having some, some scar tissue really can help position you there. And I think one other thing on, on, you know, founders and co-founders, you know, one thing that I think is essential, like if is sales, like, so you, you gotta have a founder who can sell. If you're not that person, you gotta have, you got to have somebody that that can be that person. Um, if you're building a technology startup, you've, you've really got to have somebody that in, that is that can run the technology organization. Um, so, um, hearing that we're going to hire that person at some point, I mean, you're a, you're a technology company. You've got to have somebody that that can do that. So, got, as you're thinking about how you want to build your business, you don't have to be that person yourself but finding that complement that fills some of those fundamental gaps and is really invested in it is super important. I get red flags when I talk to people. Uh, you just reminded me of a couple of them there. When you're talking to a non-technical founder and they ask me questions. So, so at full scale, we help you scale your team, like build a bigger team. Yeah. Like you, all this early stuff we mentioned, it's easy to get a couple people. And then you get this $5 million check and you're like, I need 10 more people. And, yeah. and, and look, if you're in flyover country, this is a real issue. Like they're just, we're, yeah. we're like negative 9,000 jobs in Kansas City <laughs> yeah. for IT and there aren't people here to do it. So, yep. but yeah, non-technical founders, the red flags we run into, we hear things like when it's done, no, it's not yeah. done. You're starting a software and technology company. You're never going to have an existence yeah. where you don't have people that yeah, there's do no, the technical magic. There's no end state. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. And, and that's a, you know, that's, that's a, a, a big one. And then also like, we don't really even bring in clients that don't already have a, some kind of technical team. Right. right. Ready. We want to augment and help you scale that. Yeah. But the reason is, is because, well, people, you're awful to work with at that stage. You have no clue what you're doing. The resources are usually tight. Uh, one thing we know about personality styles is that our worst qualities show when we're tired or when we're stressed. Mm-hmm. So they end up not treating people well. It's just a real high pressure environment. Now, one of the things you said a few minutes ago was talking about the ups and downs. And man, this is a real thing. Like I actually, I, I should have worn it. I have t-shirts that say founder on them have a guy riding a roller coaster yep. through it. And that's the feeling of being an entrepreneur. I'm sure if you've uh, been paying attention to startups and entrepreneur, you'll see some, some pictures and memes that'll sit the day of an entrepreneur and they start by bursting out of bed. <laughs> they're in the corner crying. They're yeah. maybe having a drink later and then they're back on top of the world. Right. In another, another phase. Now you mentioned like people that can handle it. Now it, is more than just the ups and downs. Like how, how do you look at someone? You're like, okay, what's this person going to be like if I put 5 million bucks in their bank account? Yeah. Is that a real, I mean, is that a real concern and something you think about? Probably one of the most important things you think about. In fact, you know, we, 
effectively interview people all the time when they're pitching us their businesses. And we ask a lot of questions about the business and about how you're going to grow the team, how you're going to do these things. But underlying that, I mean, I think one of the most fundamental things that I certainly do all the time is just, I'm thinking about this person. Would I want to work for them? Would I want them to work for me? Sometimes I press them on stuff that I'm, I'm interested in, but I'm also kind of reading the signals like- Give me an example. Well, I may challenge their business model or say, why are you doing that? You know, like, um, you know, why'd you hire that person? You know, uh, why are you paying yourself for so, so much? You know, some of those things that, uh, is that just to see a reaction? <laughs> well, I mean, it's and usually, a, it's, 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 it's too, a real sure. question, but yes, yeah. it's part, partly what we're looking for is how do you handle just, you know, it, you know, if, if I'm just poking you on, something about your business. Yeah. I'm not trying to just make your life hard, but I, I do kind of want to see how you react. Can you, do you handle it and say, say, are you willing to say, I don't know. Sometimes are you willing to, um, are, are you getting flustered? You know, uh, you know, are you feeling like, or, or, or do you handle it like somebody that's rarely surprised, you know, and, and you're, and you're ready for it. You've got a good response. Um, so I think inexperienced, entrepreneurs, oftentimes they try to answer everything. You get a winding non-answer instead of something direct. And I, again, I will say, including, I don't know, that's an okay answer. Now you want to follow that up. I don't know, but, um, that's something that we've outlined that we're working on. Um, or I don't know, but, um, you know, we've, the, the reason I don't know that is, um, and, and so you want to have real thought process behind it, but, uh, having clarity of you know who you are, what you're trying to build, and to not feel threatened by um, some some basic questions about the business is is really important. I think it it's an indicator of resilience and and sort of that experience of of that you're going to face just as you grow your business. Because of startup hustle, I get a lot of hey, can I run my idea by you and get your opinion, which I'm pretty accessible for, but I have a rule. That if I don't tell you what you want to hear, I don't want to hear you try to talk me, talk me out of why you're right and I'm wrong. Because that's exhausting. Yeah. And that's kind of like you mentioned with the, you've got all the answers. I want, I'm looking for people like in life that don't have all the answers because who does? Mm -hmm. I think the moment you think you have all the answers is kind of, that's a, that's a game over. Uh, I mean, at least you're flirting with it. Yep. You know, you've, you've got two, two players down and one man to go. Cause right. the thing is, is so many things are going to change and pivot. That's actually what I want to talk about next. Cause, uh, according to Matt Watson, he'll tell you, uh, he, he, Matt always jokes about the pivot. He's like, my favorite moves to pivot. And, <laughs> um, you know, and you know, I'm, you're one pivot away from greatness. Uh, how important is it to for startups and early stage companies to be able to change and adapt and do what they need to do while still staying true to what they thought they were going to do. I mean, I think, I think it's fundamental for any small business startup, what have you at as a venture backed business, which we deal with. I mean, it's essential. I mean, not only do you have to be adaptable to a fast moving market and deploying lots of capital really rapidly, but that that capital is like it's inertia. It's the rocket fuel. Like if you run out of it, like things start the whole ship that you're trying to put together as you fly up 
can start to fall apart. So you've got to be a person that can handle that, that challenge and also adapt to it in real time. Um, I think part of that personal honesty about what you don't know is being able to identify those things that you need to fix or that you need to change or how, you know, willing to jump in and go on a tangent and go that direction with conviction, but quickly change if the signals aren't right um, and, and needing to move in a different direction, sometimes significantly different direction. I've got a few more things that I want to make sure we, we get into and some, some tips for getting funded. But before we do that, once again with me today, Dan Kerr, partner at Flyover Capital. Go to flyovercapital.com. There is a link for that in the show notes. And you know what? I don't do this a whole lot, but I'm going to give you my personal stamp of approval because I've had such a great time. Um, you guys are so accommodating and not full of shit. And thank you. Because the world needs more of that. And, you know, we've had some other people from Flyover on the show. It's been a while. It's yeah. been a while. We tried to schedule this a couple different times. Yeah. And we got <laughs> snowed out once. I, yeah. I, I went to the Philippines, another one. We'll get into a few more of these things. But it, do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? That's what we do at Full Scale. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions, then let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. And we're not going to mention who they are, but we work with a couple of your of your, uh, yeah. of your portfolio companies, and they love having you as an investor. So let's, let's talk about what... Okay. First off, venture capital and private equity is not evil. I had to have this conversation last Friday and so founder said, I finally took investment. I was like, congratulations. Like, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm like, did you get what you need? Do you have people working in your corner? Is everyone rowing in the same direction? Yeah. Okay. Then be happy about that. Um, you know, what, what do you now? Sometimes you don't have the right people. Mm-hmm. How, how can you tell what's like, what, what are some, what are some tips, pointers, or comments about finding a, the right fit for, yeah. inve- for an investor? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great point. And I think, yeah, I mean, surely we, we can categorize, you know, investors that as, as not evil, some are not good actors and have, some people get, think they're like venture capitalists, well, like Darth Vader has landed on your doorstep and is there to assimilate right. you. Yeah, and I, and, I, yeah. I think there are there are some bad actors. There, there are there are funds that are aggressive and kind of bottom feeders. They're there for a reason. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think the way to view investors is they're a tool, like any other tool. Um, it's like you, you need the right one for the right task. Some the reason for the bottom feeders is because companies are going sideways and yeah. the only person that's willing to do it is somebody that's going to take a heavy cut. Now yeah. beware of that. If you don't really need that. Well, um, and you know. you're also where you are for a yeah. reason. Yeah. I've, I've, I don't even know if this is a real term, but I'm pretty sure I invented it at this point. I refer to meddling. Yeah. That's like getting stuck in the middle. Like you're not a new business anymore. You've maybe already taken yeah. some money in. you're not getting the growth that you need. You're not going out of business because you have enough but you're not yeah. really moving forward. And like, here's the thing is, is you have to have more than one better to have an auction. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a one better kind of recipient, yeah. you're not going to have, the, you're not going to have the best options. And we're also 
I don't know, there's all these, all this news coming out. VCs don't want to put money in. I made yeah. a post about this in the Startup Hustle chat the other day. I don't know if you saw it, but it was trying to be encouraging. Like, look, there's a ton of money out there yeah. and people that are very adept at finding the right opportunities, the yeah. right rapidly growing companies and the right kind of founders. And those checks are going to keep coming. Yeah. Uh, you just got to yeah. be on your game. Yeah. I, I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts about this one. Um, let's yeah, hear them, yeah, Dan. Let's yeah, hear them because other people yeah. need to hear this I, stuff. I, so in our area, 10 years ago, simply not capital. So bring it forward to today. We have lots of venture-backed companies in the region. So I think that is an indicator right there that there's demand for capital. That's the reason we have capital. And I will say, being on the outside of the venture industry before I was in it, it is mysterious. You don't know what these people are thinking and it's kind of a closed off space. On the inside, I will say most of the people, especially in this in, in the region that do this, they're, they're good people. Like they are doing this because they were probably a founder before some of them come from more investment backgrounds, but like they're doing this because they like, they like the idea of building the next generation of businesses. That's definitely, that's like our mantra at flyover. Um, I think the key thing to think about is alignment. So when you're talking to investors about, you know, putting capital in, into your company, think about, you know, where are you trying to go? And when that investor gives you a term sheet, is that, are they aligned with you and your interests or are they misaligned? So when I talk about alignment it is okay, they're an personal uh, preference. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, it's maybe equity investment. Well, that means that they're, if you do well, they do well. Um, If they put lots of crazy terms in there that they do well, even even if you don't do well, um, and and there there's a lot of that yeah, out there yeah, too. And there yeah, yeah there are different degrees of that. Yeah. Like you got to look into those details and talk to you know good counsel about what the appropriate degree of that equation is. Well, um, let's key that yeah. here because yeah. uh, I'm not a licensed dealer broker of financial services, <laughs> nor am I an attorney. Go find yeah. a good one, yeah, and a good accountant too. Yeah. It's just so so many yeah. of these things are about. Yeah. You know, it's it's cliche, but go go talk to your network. Like build those relationships so that you can ask another founder what they did and who invested in them and what did they get right. The peers, your peers that have done this successfully are gonna be some of the very best advisors. And they do you, may, do may you no recommend the businesses that you're considering investing in at flyover contact the other portfolio companies that you work 100%. with? Hundred percent. Like every time we get, I mean, usually don't say like first conversation, yeah. go, go talk to them. I mean, but as they, yeah. as we get further in process, hundred percent. In fact, we would rather they ask for that, that we want them to qualify us too and make sure they're thinking about the right thing. So absolutely the, the reference of, of our portfolio companies for us is extremely valuable and important. And there's the best indication of, of you know what we do and there's some of the best you know uh channels for new deals for us is hey you know take a look at this company that that's in my community I think you guys would like it and that's that's great when that happens that means we're doing our job yeah i think the alignment thing's big i think it's important to try to find people that believe in you and that want to do more than just write a check i sure. mean that's you get the smart money dumb money conversation yep. in that regard now um, you know, and we're, we're getting a little short on time here, but, uh, I, I think that 
when you look at so many funds or family offices or all these, they have a lot of really smart people that are there to help support you. And, you know, investors don't write checks because they don't want you to do well. That doesn't happen. Like that's, or if it does, right. it's, it's, that's very rare. strange, It'd be very yeah. rare. Yeah. So, you know, line yourself up and, and get ready to, to, you know, to, to do business and get moving quickly, which yeah. is the key too. So that you mentioned some of that, I think one of the things that's a good fit, some of you might have this, you know, two, three year exit hope and plan. And some of yeah. you want to be in it a little longer. And that's some of the stuff you're talking about with being aligned. Right. Because if you got someone breathing down your neck to hurry up and get an exit out in two years, you're like, hey, I've been planning on being around a little longer than that. Yeah. That might not, you may end up clashing. There's yeah, a I difference mean, in, in, in intended outcome. Yeah, I mean, definitely definitely want to understand that investor. What have they invested in before? And is that indicative of what you want to look like at some point? Um, you know, I think, you know, there, there are pros and cons to different types of investors and pros and cons to different individual investors, you know you talk about like family offices, like they can be incredibly supportive. Sometimes they can just support your company. Same time as if they're asking for 70% of your company with their investment, that may not be, yeah. it may not be compatible with your plans. Um, or if, you know, valuation isn't otherwise market, you know, that may not be compatible with your plans or raising outside capital. It can kind of put you out of the running for that. So it's got, you've really got to qualify, ask lots of questions, um, of the individual investor, talk to lots of them so that you can get a horizontal view of, okay, this is how I kind of stack rank them as to how closely they fit what I'm doing and how, you know, and the values that I'm looking for in that investor. Red flags that investors ask about tech companies. How soon will it take to get my money back? <laughs> You're like, I don't know. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that's a question that a real estate investor asks. Yeah. In many cases, you know, yeah. or someone that's like looking for cash flow kind of stuff. And then another one is just a silly question is what percentage of the company do I get for X amount? And for me, I'm just thinking if you can't figure that out on your own, then you're probably haven't done yeah, this before. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say one of the, yeah. the real common ones with, you know, angels or folks that are well-intended, but clearly not in the game of a technology company would be things. Yeah. Like, you know, um, you know, Talking about profitability. How long till it's built? Yeah. yeah. Or or like profitability. Like that's usually a ways away. We're usually talking more about revenue with a a really early stage company. And those are things that, you know, that's all about, you know, I had a guest on recently that it was a bootstrap company. It got really big, never taking a dollar in. Yeah. Just always run a profitable business. Some businesses need to operate like that. Yeah, absolutely. Some aren't, you know, that the path to revenue on a lot of businesses is excruciating. Okay. So once again, with me today, Dan Kerr, go to flyovercapital.com. Dan, what do you want to say on the way out? Oh, it's been awesome. I mean, clearly go to full scale. We've had great experience with our portfolio companies. Um, and, um, you know, we're big believers in, in, in our region, um, and in kind of the dispersion of great founders, you don't have to be in the Valley anymore. Um, we think that this is the long-term trend, um, and we're excited to be a part of it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, uh, on my outro that I want to, it's never too early to reach out to people that might invest or believe in you. And you're going to find that a lot of them are going to, they'll just be honest. They'll say, Hey, look, you're a little early for what I do, but let's keep in touch. 
that's not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, you get to the point, it, it, you are just shortening your path to what you might need later. Uh, another thing is, is I don't want to meet you at an in-person event and you tell me you didn't get funded. And I ask how many people you reached out to and you tell me five. Yeah. Like I, 50 to a hundred people. You got to get out there. You got to get, how bad do you want it? Put your name out. It, your effort and your outreach is, is free mainly. Well, I mean, theoretically yeah. on, on many levels, you can control that. You don't have to have funding. You don't have to have resources. You don't have to have a lot of stuff to give an effort. Now with that, still make your effort smart. You know, if yeah. you own a service business, do not spend time reaching out to a thousand funds or investors that only put money yeah. into enterprise software. Right. Right. Look yeah. for signals. Yeah. I mean, and make sure you're swimming in the right pool. Yep. And then absolutely network, network, network. Um, and, uh, you know, ask lots of questions, build good relationships, yeah. sink or swim. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the thing. And it really is relationship oriented. You know, one of the things that I found with the friendships or relationships I've have with the Dan Kerrs of my life is that if they're not the right person, they'll often tell you who is. And, but the thing is, is if you burn those bridges on the way out or you don't establish or build them in the first place, then it makes it a little bit tougher. My final word of encouragement is for those of you that are like, I'm in this small town. How am I going to do big town stuff? You know how much easier it is to stand out in Kansas city than it is in Silicon Valley. Absolutely. Cause that's yeah. one of the very first things I said when I became an entrepreneur, uh, first thing I didn't really wasn't outward, didn't do a whole lot of hype. But when we started Gigabook, when we started Full Scale and Startup Hustle, I'm like, this is a lot easier to stand out here. Yeah, people lot, love it. When you, a, people yeah. love supporting yeah. entrepreneurs. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and especially other entrepreneurs, I feel this undying need, you know, look, the knowledge isn't yours to keep. It's actually selfish to hang on to it. I've had so many people that took an interest in me for reasons I couldn't explain at the time. I think they saw a little bit of me Mm -hmm. or a little bit of them and me. And, you know, but I've learned as I've gotten older, more experienced, I should say. <laughs> uh, but no, I think that entrepreneurs have that. They feel like, hey, I, I'm going to give some advice. I'm going to give some input. And you're sitting there thinking about the time someone did that for you. Yeah. And I don't want to be the guy that just turns you away. Yeah. So yeah, rarely, rarely holding on to that tightly is, is going to actually benefit you. I think sharing it, sharing lots of information almost is always going to benefit you. It's going to get your word, get the word out there. People aren't going to steal your idea. It's hard. No, I, oh, and, yeah. and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah they're not. They, you know why? Watson's the one that always says this. He's like, I'm not going to steal your idea. I'm not passionate about it. You know, like get it out there and don't ask people to sign a freaking NDA before yeah. you do an initial <laughs> call. That's the last yeah. thing I'm ending on that one. All right. See you next time, Dan. Thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.